Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and really glad that all of you guys are worshiping with us today. Really glad that you are here. And I want to wish uh, all the moms here, I want to wish you a happy Mother's Day and really glad uh, that you are here. And just want you to know that we are all very appreciative of you and what you do for our kids, what you really you do for all of us, and really hope that you have a great day. And at the same time, I'm also very mindful of the fact that Mother's Day for a lot of people can just be... I just have a lot of conflicting emotions. Some, some, of us, some of us are grieving. Some of us are, you know, remembering. And I just want you to know, kind of whatever flood of emotions you have today, that uh, we as a church, we love you and we see you and hope that you have a very blessed day today. Uh, we are in a series right now in 2 Timothy. And the, the setup here is Paul is this missionary. He's been traveling around, telling people about Jesus, going to places where they have no idea really who Jesus is. And he sets up these churches and very often he would kind of leave a, like, a, like, a, like a protege behind to kind of shepherd, kind of be the pastor of that church. And we got this guy, Timothy, who Paul has left in Ephesus to kind of pastor this town, uh, kind of this new church that, t- that Paul and his crew kind of, kind of set up. And this is several years after that. And Paul has been arrested. It's not the first time he's been arrested. He's been arrested many times, but it's very clear to him that this one is different and that he is about to die. And so he knows he's about to be executed. He's in jail. And there's just a lot of anxiety kind of amongst the movement. Paul's kind of, we'll see this more. Paul's just kind of describing that people are kind of fading away. They're getting nervous. They're getting scared. They're... um, you know, I don't, I don't want to be next. They're, they're feeling very discouraged and people are just kind of starting to drift. And, you know, uh, Paul has heard that maybe Timothy, maybe, maybe Timothy, maybe the same thing seems to be happening to Timothy. The reports that he's getting back of kind of how things are going there. He's really worried. And so this, this letter is kind of an encouragement, a really heartfelt plea from Paul to Timothy. It's like, man, hang, hang in there. Don't, don't allow yourself to be discouraged. Don't allow your life and your faith to drift. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately as I'm trying to, as we all are, I think to a degree, trying to cope, process kind of what does it mean to re-engage in a post-COVID world. And honestly, I just, even talking about being post-COVID, I'm, I'm so tired of talking about, I don't even, I don't even want to talk about it, but we got to talk about it, I guess, right? Kind of like what's, what's happened to us, right? It's been two years and you kind of wake up a little bit after two years. And I think what a lot of us are discovering, discovering is that as we come out of this, we kind of, we, we've kind of maybe ended up someplace and, and, and someplace we, we didn't necessarily intend to go. Like I've, kind of woken up and realized that what happened to me is I've kind of drifted is there's, there's more of me than there used to be. About 25 pounds more of me than there used to be. And I, I, gotta, I gotta do something about that. I think a lot of us have kind of woken up and realized, now, I, I, honestly, I think I'm more tired than I used to be. I, I don't, you know, it would seem, I don't know what news you watch, it would seem that we're a lot angrier than we used to be. We're a lot more divisive than we used to be. And I've also noticed that it just seems like a lot of us are just kind of allowing our, kind of our normal commitments to kind of growing in our faith have kind of drifted. As far as, you know, being in a small group or serving in the church or, 
you know, uh, you know, maybe just even our own personal prayer life, our own personal time in the word, our time here at church. We're just kind of, we're just allowing things to just kind of slowly drift. And while right now we may be okay, my fear is that, is that we're going to wake up one day and we're just going to have drifted and we're going to end up someplace that we're really like, how did I get here? And that's what's happening to Timothy under different types of circumstances, but it has the potential to really happen to all of us, where we no longer are really kind of being very intentional about really growing and connecting and, and doing what we can to stay strong in our faith. And next thing you know, we're discouraged, we're, we're tired, we drift, and we end up someplace that we never really wanted to be. So this is Paul's encouragement to him. Hey, I know, I know it seems scary. I'm in jail. I'm in, I'm in, I'm about to die. I know it seems, I, I know everybody, it seems like everybody's leaving, but you hang in there. And he says, don't be timid. That's what he said. We talked about this two weeks ago. Don't be timid. Don't be passive. God isn't, God hasn't made you to be timid. He's made, made you to be passive. He, he is, he's given you power. The gospel is powerful. This life change that God has done in your life, what Jesus did for you, there's power there. Embrace that power. And not just, not just that, but guard it, protect it. Do not just allow the currents of your circumstances to take you wherever. This gift that God has given you needs to be guarded and protected. And this is his encouragement to us as well. Guard it, protect it. What God has given you, the gift of Jesus, protect it, guard it. And so we're going to hear over the next several weeks kind of what does that mean? And we we heard from Mark last week in the first part of chapter two where Paul says, and part of this is just a recommitment to what your mission is and your mission as someone who is is a pastor. But not only that, just really is true for all followers. It is important for you to take what God has given you and give it away. Take the things that you've learned and trust them to other people. It's not just a pastor's job, it's all our jobs. One of the things that can happen to us that can allow us to drift, to get stagnant, is to just be in a place where all I'm doing is, all I'm doing really is listening. I'm just kind of taking it in. I'm not thinking about how I can take what God has given me and bless somebody else. Hey, God's really used this church to help me. I want to see, hey, you should come with me. I, I was reading, the, I read this verse the other day, and, and I want you to know about it. You hear somebody who's got a struggle. It's like, I've struggled with that before too. And this is why I feel like what God showed me, that we all have this ability to take the things that God is teaching us and to entrust them and to give them to other people. And not only is this just vital to our mission, but I honestly believe that it is a key component to spiritual living to not be somebody who is just being still while somebody else gives. I, people give to me, so I give it away. And again, for the rest of this book, for the next several weeks, we're just going to continue to talk about all these things that, these encouragements that Paul have, of kind of how to navigate these circumstances. So we're going to see here, we've got another passage here, in the second half of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul's got something else, another encouragement, another challenge that he wants to give to Timothy. But we're going to do something just a little bit differently um, in the way that we kind of structure this sermon. And either it's going to go well, and we'll do something like this again, or it's not going to go well, and you'll remember that time. Hey, you remember that time we were at church, and it wasn't very good? 
I was there. I, yeah, I was there too. And then we can talk about it, right? Okay, because what I want us to do is I want us to slow down in this passage and see if, and kind of let you experience, not really going to be interactive. I want you to kind of experience kind of the process by which you kind of really try to figure out what the big idea of a passage is. Because one of the things that I think is really detrimental to our ability to know God's word really well is very often where we just kind of take one verse out by itself and say, hey, look, I like this verse. And then you say this verse, it sits by itself and I make it say whatever I want it to say or make it think whatever I, hey, this verse says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So what that means is, is that God's going to make sure my team wins today. Because otherwise, it wouldn't have any faith. Because God can do everything. Like, like I can. In context, it means something very different, and we need to make sure that we understand that. Because, you know, if you understand this, this was a letter that was written by Paul to Timothy. He didn't put numbers on it. There was no point in which Timothy was like, "Man, verse thirteen, chapter two, that was pretty good." I mean, it was, this was one letter. And so in this letter, he's got one big idea, which we've talked about. And then from paragraph to paragraph, he's trying to communicate different things. And I think it's important for us to learn this skill. So we're going to slow down a little bit and see if we can figure this out a little bit together. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting verse 14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. All right, so what is, what is, he, what is he telling Timothy to do here, right? So don't, you got you to worry, don't, you got to warn, don't be one of these people who likes to quarrel about words. Don't quarrel about words. Be careful of people who quarrel about words. Now, there's a question that you should be asking. What does that even mean? Who's quarreling about words? What does it even mean to quarrel about words? And some of you have been around for a while. Charlie, maybe that's you. You do that a lot. You're always talking about being very particular about the meanings of words. And well, Yeah, but wanting to know what a word means is not the same as, I'm going to fight anybody about it. What does he mean? What is he saying here? What does it mean to quarrel about words? So we need to have this idea. There's, there is warn them about these types of people. Who, we, who are we talking about? Verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, you've probably not experienced, I've talked about this before. You know, these, these verses are very often, you kind of pull them out and you kind of, you can put them on a, cross stitch or you put them on a little plaque or a little cat inspirational poster or whatever and they become these kind of key life verses. You may not know this, but this is like if you go like you get ordained to become a pastor, man, they are going to hand you something. Some sort of plaque like piece of paper, something that's going to have this verse on you. If you've been, a, hey, you've been a pastor here for five years. You've worked here for 10 years. They are going to put this verse. This is the verse that says, be a good pastor. So I've got, I don't know how many, I've got quite a few things. I should have brought one of them to show you as so I wasn't making it up, right? That I'll have this verse or this reference on it. But it really does. It's kind of become this kind of summary verse or how to be a good pastor, right? How to be a good teacher of the Bible. He says, hey, you want, you want to not be ashamed, Someone who correctly handles the word of truth. I'm going to be a good preacher, right? So we got these two ideas so far. Be careful about people who like to quarrel about words. But you, you be sure that you're handling words correctly. So I think what it seems to be developing here is some sort of 
something about teaching, the way that we teach, something about the way that we understand God's word, something. Well, let's continue on to verse 16. And now it's going to seem like it maybe it takes a right turn. Verse 16, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Now, if we're going to pop this verse out of context and place it somewhere, we're going to take it to the youth group, right? This is in the youth group, hanging out in the youth group. You got your, you got your high school boys, right? Maybe it's the high school boys uh, small group. Guys, you need to avoid godless chatter. I was just heard, I heard what you guys were talking about. And the Bible says, avoid godless chatter. And it could be any number of things that is, has currently inspired this pastor to say to his boys, you, gotta, you, you can't with this. But here's the question. Is that what he's talking about? What, what is godless chatter? Now, I want to be very careful here. I don't want to offend anybody necessarily, right? Because I've, he's like, so, you know, like little boys, right? Little boys, little boys, like make poop jokes, right? Now, okay, now you've been in church. Church guy, pastor said poop. Now he said it twice, right? Right? Is that, is that what it's talking about? Is that what it's talking about? Godless chatter, don't make poop jokes. Not three times. Okay. Because, you know, little boys will do this as will, you know, junior high age boys and high school age boys and college age boys and recent graduates and middle-aged men, older men, right? This is what he's talking about, like borderline inappropriate humor. Not obviously inappropriate. That kind of border, is, that, is that godless chatter? I've heard verses like this be used to basically say that anything that's kind of like not God is kind of pointless. Very recently, I heard a guy give a talk, basically, where he seemed to be condemning hobbies. That like, like if you're like... The reason why you're so into sports is because you're not into God enough. That's godless chatter to have too much hobbies, to like something out there somewhere. And so if you take that verse, you just kind of pop it out by itself, I could insert that and make you think that that's what he's saying. Is it, is it what he's saying? Because it doesn't seem to make sense in the context of what we're talking about so far. Avoid people who like to argue about words. Instead, be somebody who can hold on and really can understand God's word really well. And now avoid godless chatter. I don't know what that is yet. Maybe we continue reading, we'll figure it out. Because if you do that, it says, you're going to become more and more and more and more ungodly. Verse 17, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. All right, man. Hey, listen. You need to... Uh, don't... Hey, we got to be careful about people who, who like to fight about words. You need to be somebody who can hold on to God's word. Avoid godless chatter. Because if you hold on to godless chatter, it's going to make you more and more ungodly. And their teaching is going to spread. Pause. Who? Who's teaching? That seems random. It should seem random. And it's okay that it seems random to you, right? We're talking about, okay, you gotta, don't argue about words. Handle the word right. Avoid godless chatter. And their teaching, who are we talking about? It's like all of a sudden now, he's inserting somebody in here. Their teaching is going to spread. And then he mentions two people, like these two guys. Still don't know who these guys are. And he's like, and, and, and what they're doing, they're telling people that the resurrection's already happened. 
But you don't, and then he said, basically, but you don't need to worry about this. Don't worry about that because God is very clear. God knows who are his. So obviously what Paul here is doing is describing a specific situation that we don't really know about, but we do know enough here. We can kind of put context clues together and you read the whole letter. It would seem that there are at least two dudes that are hanging around Timothy in his church that are teaching false things. One of the things they're teaching is the resurrection's already happened. God's already come back to get his people, which is a really interesting thing. Like, so it'd be really discouraging for me to teach you guys. Guys, I got bad news. Jesus already came back and, and took all the good people with him, right? That's really discouraging for you, right? But what's your next question? Bro, you're still here, right? I mean, it's like, that would, that would be my thought. It's like, man, too bad, guys, you missed it. Like, why are you here to talk about it? You must always don't know what you're talking about. Anyways, so he got the situation. He's got a situation where there are people in his church that obviously Paul knows and probably used to be very faithful teachers that are now teaching false things. Now, all of this starts to make a little more sense. You want to avoid fighting about words. Like I can almost imagine like, well, what does resurrection really mean? Like, oh, okay, dude, stop, get out of here with that. You want to avoid, don't, don't, don't be with people like that. You just need to make sure you know God's word really, really well. And avoid godless chatter. Now we have a very specific context, I think, for what he means by godless chatter. Because he refers back, they're teaching, those kinds of people, those godless chatter people, those people who are say that they're saying things about God, but what they're saying is false. Avoid these kind of false teachers who will teach things that are godless. It's not your hobbies. It's not mildly inappropriate humor. Now, there are verses that really help us to guard against extremes and things that we say. And maybe there are times, we, I think we all know, you can cross the line in joking or whatever, your, or, you know, in your sarcasm. And there are great verses in the Bible that talk about that. This is just happens to not be one of them. He's talking about something very specific. And it's very important for us to be able to learn kind of how to put these pieces together. He continues on, verse 20. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Now, I know not everybody's here every week, but if you're here two weeks ago, we talked about this idea of holy, that God wants us to be holy. And I use as an example, like, hey, sometimes we associate negativity with that. And so we should use the word extraordinary, special, set apart, right? And so now Paul's back to this idea again here, uses the word holy again, but then he uses an illustration that kind of talks about, because one of the things you're talking about, special plates, right? The, the, the guests are coming over plates. You want to be, a guest is coming over plate, not, not, not a paper plate. It's like there's two kinds of plates is basically what he's saying here. It's an illustration, very similar to the one we used a couple of weeks ago. Right? There's, there's ones that God has a special purpose for. And then there's just kind of just people who are living ordinary life. And when I want you to think about ordinary, I want to think about like what seems average out there. Right? I don't want to, I don't want to live life the way everyone, I want to live extraordinary. And he says, you want to be extraordinary? You want to live a holy life? You want to be special, set apart by God? Cleanse yourself of these things. 
Don't be argumentative. Know God's word. Avoid this godless talk. Verse 22. It's back to youth group time. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, bro, you youth pastor right now, I mean, Matt was in here the first service. I got to say, bro, you just take this verse. You can talk about anything you want to with this verse. Your kids are doing anything stupid. You just pull this one out. It says, flee evil desires of youth. You're acting like kids. You're interrupting me when I'm talking. You're, you come here late and you're not paying attention or whatever it is. Get off your phones. Like what? You, you make everyone flee evil desires of youth. Stop being, stop being a little kid. And maybe, maybe Paul's switching to something new here because it seems to be, he says, hey, you want to be, you want to cleanse yourself is kind of how it ends there. And now he's saying, flee evil desires, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Maybe we're switching. We're talking about how we were talking and how we interact with bad teachers. Maybe now we're switching to kind of how we need to live big picture. However, verse 23, the very next thing, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So even though we have this little piece, what seems like a little interlude, like, hey, don't be, don't be a kid. Grow up. Be, be a good person. We have this interrupt, we've got, it's sandwiched in. It's like it's all contained in this same idea because he comes back to it here again. So I think he's here describing, again, a specific aspect of what he means by this. These evil desires, faith, righteousness, love, and peace. If you are one of these people who goes around teaching false things, and not only are you teaching false things, you're a you're, you're argumentative, you're divisive, you're quarrelsome. If you are those times, that, that, that is an evil desire. That is godless chatter. And instead, you need to cleanse yourself from that. You need to pursue love and righteousness and peace. He's positioning Timothy about how he needs to act and who he needs to be in a world where there are a lot of lies being taught about who God is, and it seems like everybody's trying to fight about it. Now, I don't know kind of where you live mentally on the question of how you feel about the relevance of the Bible. That's an old book. That's the Bible. I mean, those are good stories or whatever, but it's not not really applicable today. Let me repeat what I just said. They live in a world where there are a lot of lies being taught about who God is and what it means to be a follower of Christ. And it seems like everybody's trying to fight about it and the world and the discussion around it has gotten very hostile and quarrelsome. I mean, mean, Timothy could write that letter. I mean, Paul could write that letter today to us right now. How are we supposed to navigate that? In a world full of lies false teachings about who God is, about who Jesus is, about who we're supposed to be, about what it means to be a Christian. And everywhere you go, it just seems like that there's just nothing but arguing and fighting and quarreling out there. What are we supposed to do? This is what he's saying. 
This is what he's, this is what he's saying. All of, all of these pieces fit together. Don't quarrel about words. Correctly handle God's word. Avoid godless chatter. Cleanse yourself from the yuck of all of that. And he says, gently instruct people. Don't have anything to do with stupid arguments. You know they're going to produce quarrels. But be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. I have the ability to teach, but I'm not going to be angry about it. I'm going to be kind about it. I'm going to be loving about it. This is the world you live in, Timothy. I want you to be able to handle God's word well, and I want you to handle the conflict well. So we'll say, we're going to say this a couple of different ways. We're kind of, we're kind of, but this kind of in its most technical, I think what the big idea that I think that Paul is trying to get across to Timothy here is you need to have good theology. You need to have good theology, but don't be combative. You need to be someone who can rightly handle God's word. He gives you God's word. I can rightly handle it. I know what God's word says. I can read the Bible, I can hear people teach the Bible, I can hear people talk about the Bible, I can be in a small group, and I, I, know, what, I know what the truth is. Which is why, in this first time in a while, we kind of take, let's just slow down, and let me just kind of walk you through kind of some of my thinking and my processing as I'm trying to figure out what this says, because we need this skill. We desperately need this skill to be like, I feel like I can myself, Rightly handle God's word. I, I need to know the truth. And I don't want to be combative about it. I do not want to be one of those people out there who is like, this is what I know to be true about God. But somebody out there is wrong. And I got to go find them. And I got to tell them. And I got to tell them how stupid it is. And how wrong they are. Paul's like, don't be, don't be like that. We'll say it, we'll say it a different way. You need to believe right. You need to believe right, but don't be wrong. What I know to be true, I know that, that it is right. But knowing what is right doesn't give me the, re, the, the, the freedom to be wrong. I'm not going to be, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be quarrelsome about it. Now, I think at this point, it's really important for me to kind of make sure that we're clear on something. What I'm not saying is talking about having good theology and I'm talking about believing right. I don't want you to hear me saying that what I'm encouraging you to do, man, is, hey, you need, you need to find your truth. You need to find your truth. Hey, you need to know what you believe. In some ways, those are good ideas, but that's not what I'm saying to you. This is not about you finding your truth. This is not about you knowing what you believe. What Paul's encouraging Timothy to do is to know what is actually right. What is actually true about God. Who is God really? Who is Jesus really? What really are the consequences of sin? What really hope does God give us in this world? What hope or negative consequences or judgment it can be true in the next world? What, is it, what does the Bible say about people who don't know Jesus? What does the Bible say about the way that I'm supposed to live? Not what I feel about it, not what I think about it, not what my truth is, but what is the truth? I need to know what is right. I need to believe what is right. Now, I say this long enough and you start to get a little uncomfortable. 
I say this song and I start to get a little uncomfortable because like, man, I quit going to a church like that. I went to a church like that all the time. I go to the church and be like, and they would just tell me how right we were and how you need to believe this and you need to believe this and you need to believe this and you need to believe this. And all the people that I know who are like that, I don't like them. They're just little arrogant, little know-it-alls. And I, I, I don't like people like that. And it sounds to me like that's what you're telling me I'm supposed to be. So I'll give you Paul's big idea. I'll say it one more way. We'll say it this way. He's in a good theology. Don't be combative. Believe right. Don't be wrong. Just because you're right doesn't mean you get to be a punk. Because too often that's kind of what we associate. Like if I'm going to make a commitment to make sure that I understand exactly what God's word says about God, Jesus, me, the world, and sin, and I'm going to know and study and learn and understand that it necessarily means that I'm going to become an arrogant know-it-all. I mean, I had a math professor that was a little bit like this in college, right? Um, She was German. She was really, I loved her. She was great. But anytime you would ask a question, she would start doing the, uh, I don't understand problem number two. He's like, you don't understand problem number two? It's so clear. It's clear and clear. And she would this and this and clearly and then clearly, clearly, clearly. And clearly the answer is this. And then she would go, I do not understand why you had a question about this. It was so clear. And then like a month later, everybody's flunking the test. And she comes to me and says, all your friends are doing terrible in the class. And no one's asking questions anymore. Why is that? And I laughed at her. And, and she was like, what? It's like, are you serious right now? And she's like, yeah. It's like, this is what you say. You're like, every time somebody asks a question, you say, it's so clear. How did you even have a question? But nobody's going to ask a question to somebody like that. Obviously, there was some sort of German word that translates to clearly that is not making the leap, right? But she, she came across, right? She came across, and a lot of professors can be like this. I know my subject so well, and it's insulting to me that there are people out there that don't know. but it is a million times worse when Christians are like that. A Christian who has found the key to kind of the way that this world works and who God is and who I am and how I can relate to him and how I can have life with him, how I can have hope in this world and how I can have hope in the next world. And I finally understand and because of good teaching and my understanding of God's word and the Holy Spirit's role in my life, God has kind of revealed to me kind of the way life and the world works. And finally, I can have peace and hope in life. And somehow when I want to talk to somebody who does not have that, I'm going to be mad at them because they haven't figured it out yet or because they dare disagree with me because they happen to believe something else. This shouldn't make me mad. It should break my heart. I want you to know. I want you to know who God is. I want you to know who Jesus is. I want you to know how you can have life. And I would never be a punk about it. I would never be angry about it. I would never want anybody to think that just because I understand something to be true about God, that somehow because you may not not yet understand that, that I'm going to be angry about it. We act like that there are only two choices, people who know everything about God's word and people who can be chill. I mean, it's cool, man. You just, you just be you, man. You just, bro, you just, hey, man, I, mean, I can be a bro. You do you. What if we could somehow bring these ideas together? I know what is true about God and about life and about you and about me and about sin. But I love you too much to just kind of leave it alone. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to fight with you. I am going to. Righteousness, faith, love, 
peace. I'm going to gently instruct in the hope, hope that God will grant repentance. Righteousness, faith, love, peace, gentle. That it is possible for us to be people who can understand God's word. Understand what the truth about life and God and me and sin. I can understand that. And be a kind, loving ambassador for him in a world that is desperate for that truth. Let's pray. God, I pray you would grow us. Let us be people who can understand your truth. That we would not be intimidated by the Bible. We would not be intimidated by teachers who make it just seem too complicated. But God, that we'd be willing to learn. We'd be willing to grow. We'd be willing to understand. We'd be willing to try. Be wrong sometimes. Let somebody instruct us. Let us grow in our knowledge and our understanding. Let's not be intimidated by knowing more about who you are, about the way the world works, about what sin is, about heaven, about hell, about, about, the, about the Holy Spirit. That God, that we would learn, that we would study. But God, the more that you grow us and the more that we learn, God, that we would not give in to pride, arrogance, but God, that we would humbly with love, gently and lovingly with peace and hope, give that truth away. That we would not allow ourselves to drift and think that we can believe whatever we want. God, that we would not allow ourselves to drift and become angry, quarrelsome people. But rightly handling your word we would bring hope and life and truth to people with love and gentleness. And we're so thankful for your son who makes all of this possible, God, and who saw us in our ignorance and our sin and sacrificed his life, his life for us. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.